Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Did you know that grief is a natural human response to the loss of a loved one? It can show itself in many ways. Grief moves in and out of stages from disbelief to denial, to anger and guilt, to finding a source of comfort, to eventually adjusting to the loss. Losing someone we love is never easy, especially when the death is sudden. Your mind races, shock, disbelief, anger. So many emotions are running through you. Many will wonder, how will I ever move on with my life when I feel so frozen in my pain? Well, today's guest is here to help you become unfrozen or to help you support someone who's deeply often probably grieving uh, a sudden loss. Her name is Kathleen L. She's a transformational speaker, a certified success coach, loss expert, author, podcaster, so much more. But she believes by assisting people to move through the layers of pain and trauma and to break limiting beliefs, it will revolutionize lives, your life. She's here to discuss her award-winning book, Shattered Together, A Mother's Journey from Grief to Belief. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you for having me, Janie. It's so good to see you. So good to see you as well. So I read some of your titles, all the great things that you're doing and impacting lives and turning your own pain to purpose. But outside of that, for those that are meeting Kathleen for the first time in our audience here, but let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. Who is Kathleen L? Who is she? Outside all those titles, who is she? Who is Kathleen L? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, that's such a great question. I love to hike. I love to play. I love to laugh. I love to bring humor into any situation that we might be in. Because if we can lighten the load and lighten the energy around us, we get to just be able to be the light that we are. I'd like to think that I'm a light in the world like you are or anyone else. And I'm a mom. Um, My son transitioned in 2010 at 19, and my daughter is going to be 32. Um, And I'm a former politician, um, government official, lobbyist, business owner. Um, And, you know, I'm just a woman that wants to assist others through their challenges. Oh, you're definitely a light. And like attracts like, which is probably why we ended up in the same uh, space last last year. And you always stood out to me with sharing your, your story. So I'm glad to, to have you. But you did mention something interesting that I was planning on wanting to, to dive a little um, deep into, into that a little bit. But share with us about your, your previous career in government and legislation. And what was that journey to, to get to that chosen career path in particular? Oh, it's so funny. Um, I was a kid that was born to abusive alcoholic, um, sexual, physical, emotional abuse as a child. Never thought I'd ever get anywhere um, 
you know, professionally. And I just had this drive. I remember as a kid just thinking there's got to be something more to life than this. You know, my dad actually even shot at us. My birth father actually even shot at us as a child. So the environment was an environment where um, I could have gotten stuck in. And yet there was a drive inside me. So um, I was a business owner with my, my children's dad. And there was a legislative breakfast that came up that there was a big debate in one of the legislators that was there. Um, appeared unengaged. I'll just, I'm just going to say appeared unengaged. And it really bothered us because it was a, a pretty big issue that we were just debating. And I left that meeting and my husband had said at the time, you should run to be a legislator. I'm like, I know nothing about politics. I'm under 30 years old. I don't have a college degree. Are you kidding me? I've never spoken public ever. And I you know, we, we discussed it more and we asked a few people and then I asked the legislator that was unengaged and he's like, if you run, I'll, I'll resign and I'll support you. And so I ran and I just, it was so honored, you know, when I stood there for the first time and I ran the first, you know, I could go into so many stories. My first speech, I, blacked out. I was sweating. I was shaking. I couldn't speak. It was horrible. It was absolutely awful. And yet I still got elected. And when I was standing there with lawyers, um, doctors, retired businessmen, you know, millionaires, you know, I stood there taking my oath. And when I was taking my oath, I had this download from above. It was like, you're equal to them and you have a responsibility to serve the people. So I stepped into it with all I had and was fortunate enough to serve on the Judiciary Committee for six years and appropriations for two and wrote the landmark legislation Civil Union. Actually, I, I came up with the name of Civil Union. Um, so I feel like I really was able to serve in that capacity, and I feel like that set the stage for what I'm doing today. Well, that example of your first uh, <laughs> speaking is a demonstration of when we fall back down to continue to get back up because you don't know where the journey is going to really take you in, in that moment. But what an interesting career it sounded like you started off with. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I learned so much and I, I offered a lot, you know, with DNA legislation to convict and exonerate sex offenders and felons and, you know, child support and um, divorce law. And there's just so much that I was able to impact. Now I, now I can look back and say what an honor it was to be able to be a part of all of that and actually bring to light the side that not many voices are heard about. You know, there's those who grew up in an environment like I did don't always end up being a legislator. You know, it's, it, and it's <laughs> rare that they end up being a legislator. So I got to impact law that would affect, you know, many of women and children and, and men as well. You know. Well, your work probably definitely has had a ripple effect. So I'm sure that you can feel that when you look back on your career. But today you assist people to move through layers of pain and, and trauma. And, you know, it would be good to, to start right there. So share with us about your story about bringing you to your current uh, professional and your, your passion. And there's no doubt that you're passionate about it, writing uh, several books and um, even in your Woman Who Rise book. 
and looking at some of your YouTube video channels. So share with us or take us a little bit on the listeners and the viewers, a little bit on your journey to how you got to your current place of impacting so many people. So after um, I completed my journey with the governor, I decided to become an executive of a large large commercial construction association. And so I was the CEO and we were debating in in a um, pretty important board meeting, um, some the direction the association was going. And on the way to work that day, I had this hit again, and you're going to hear me speak about this often, is that I I kept getting messages, and I didn't realize what they were at the time, but I I know I was being guided. I just knew that these, I was being guided to call my son. Now, my son wasn't speaking with me um, at the time because he was angry about the situation. He was 19, and he just was struggling emotionally, and um, it created some conflict between us. And I said, well, I'll call him later. After I'm done with this board meeting, I'll call him later. And a colleague of mine that was a former a lobbyist with me, um, two of them actually were walking up the sidewalk about midday, and I thought it was odd that they would be visiting us during the middle of a legislative day. And when my assistant came in the room, she uh, said, you know, these women needed to see me, and I knew something was wrong, but as soon as I walked into that that room, I saw the look on her face, and I knew it was Logan. And she had told me that Logan had taken his life. And it shattered me. Not only did he take his life, Janie, he also wrote a note saying he didn't want me out of service, um, which shattered me even more. Um, I found myself a few months after the experience lying on his grave, begging, pleading, wishing whoever, whatever took my son, please take me to, I can't do this anymore. I was numb. I was heavy. You know, I felt like my heart was in this vice grip that was getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I was living in shame and blame and guilt. And there's so much. Um, and I heard again, this voice out of nowhere saying, if this happened in your life, then you're meant to do something with it. Now do it. So it was at that moment that I made the choice to respond to my life instead of reacting to it and start stepping into assisting other people through their grief. I had the voice, I had the contacts, I had the, um, um, I had the ability to, um, speak my truth and to share a very, very difficult story that most people don't talk about. Most people don't talk about their child's taking their life. Most people don't know what the signs are. Um, and so I made it my purpose at that moment to educate people about the signs to prevent suicide. And the more I got involved in that, the more I realized that I needed to heal (laughs) because it was shortly after his transition and I knew that I needed to step into my own healing journey. So as I started to step in my own healing journey through cognitive thought therapy, energy healing, believing in the signs I was receiving, um, doing, um, participating in ceremonies of plant medicine, it's ayahuasca, and then becoming a master at what's called uh, regenerating images and memory, it's called RIM. It's a healing modality that assists us to go into our body 
um, to find past traumas um, and to create a new story and awareness around that. And so you can heal many generations, many um, traumas in this lifetime and um, with an hour session. So um, that has been my purpose is to share with people that there is hope, there is inspiration. You do not have to continue to live in the suffering. You do need to move through the pain because ignoring, masking, um, uh, overworking, overexercising, you know, any, any of that is only going to create the shackles um, and the cage to get smaller and smaller and smaller that you're going to be exploding in if you don't move through your pain. You end up just suffering the rest of your life. And I made a commitment to myself and to my son is that at that moment, I knew life could change at any minute and I was going to live life the best I could in any way I could. Um, so that's my story. Well, truly turning pain into purpose and beauty from ashes. Yeah. But share with us a little bit about your beloved Logan, like some of the memories in your 19 years of, of raising him and that you hold dear and near to your, your heart. Oh, he was such a sweet boy. He, you know, he was always the kindest at school. He was friends with all walks of life. It didn't matter who you were or what, what you did. He just always wanted to make other people feel happier. Whenever I would come home, one of my favorite memories, and I continue to, to feel this today, is when I would come home from work, he'd come running out of his, his room, no matter his age, and he'd be like, Mommy, Mommy, what's for dinner? No, he'd say, Mommy, Mommy, I love you. What's for dinner? <laughs> you know, so, uh, as a boy, you know, food is really important to them. And so there are so many memories. You know, we had a, even during the, tumultuous times, we had a rule in the house that no matter what time we sat for, down for dinner, we would sit down, the three of us, um, his sister, Ashley, Logan, and me. We'd put the phones away, we'd turn the TV off, and there'd be no distractions. And for a half an hour, we would sit there, and if they wanted to talk, they could. If they didn't, they didn't have to, but we were not going to have a distraction as we were there as a family. And you know, they didn't like it then, but my daughter shares with me that that's probably one of the best things that I could have done. I do have a funny story I'd love to share if, if we have time for that. I'd, yeah, I'd love absolutely. So I was running for office. I was a re I was a representative for the community, and I was running against this woman as a senator. So my eighth year, I decided that I would either run for a higher office or get out of office. And I was running against this woman named Susan Bartlett. And she was a long time, very well known represent, uh, senator. So it was a really, it was a tough run. Well, my son thought it would be funny to go around and put vote for voyeur stickers on all of Susan Bartlett's signs <laughs> in the community. So he and his friend, and I didn't know that at the time. So I were driving the next day, I'm driving Logan and um, his friend to school. And I see the signs with vote for voyeur. I'm like, oh my gosh, who did that? We and Logan in the back is smirking and he couldn't help but he goes, I hate her. And I'm like, <laughs> you cannot do that. You cannot do that. We do not do that again. And it's just it's just funny how protective he was 
of me and I of him. And so, yeah, he always had my back and continues to. That is definitely a, a funny story. Sounds like he had a, he was a character. He was. He loved basketball. He just, he loved to play golf. He just, he was a great kid. He was active in, in activities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I know one of your, your passion is about carrying his legacy by talking about suicide prevention and, and mental health, which is a shared passion for, for both of us. But can you share with those parents or the people that are watching or listening or will be watching or listening us? You talked about, and I, and I heard it in your audible book about talking about the signs. Could you share with us some of the things that you've learned that you now educate parents, people around your own experience so that someone that's listening can potentially save a life or tune in a little bit more into their, to their child and what's going on with them, especially around mental health issues. Yeah. Um, the, the one most important thing I think is communication, you know, making sure the communication line stays open. Oftentimes we think it's puberty, right? And so there's a gray area there between teenage ups and downs and actually emotional wellness. And so if you're concerned, if their actions have shifted, you know, so my son's friends started to change. He started to isolate himself a little more. Um, he, he started to become more and more, um, let's just say couch potato, like playing more games than going outside and playing basketball with his friends. And then he started to depend on marijuana and, um, and it didn't work for him. You know, I know that it's legal and I, you know, to each their own, I feel like it's very much like alcohol. Some people can drink and some people can't. And and marijuana didn't work for him. It created even more depression for him. And those signs matter because how you communicate with them is really, really critical. My communicating with them was trying to control the situation. I was trying to keep him in this box and, 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 and lead him down this path that I thought was best and highest for him while it may not have been his best and highest. And I don't regret what I did because I did everything I could do in the moment that I did it with all the love I had for him and continue to have for him. So there's not any regrets because I've actually worked through that, those, those feelings. However, when you're talking to them, ask them questions let them speak to you. And when they're done speaking, first listen. And then when they're done telling you, repeat to them what you think you heard. So as, you, as you're having the conversation, just say, so what I heard you say was blah, 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 blah. And that shows them, one, that you are listening. And two, that you either heard what they were trying to say or not. And so it just keeps the communication line open. And then when you speak what you need to speak, ask them what they heard you say so you know that they understood you. So that communication is key. If you find that your child is starting to use alcohol and drugs, starting to give their prized possessions away, you find that they are saying, my life doesn't really matter, it's really important to ask the question, have you thought about suicide? 
the myth out there is that if you ask the question, it's going to cause it. And I can assure you, if, the ask, if you ask the question, you may prevent it. Because if they say yes, then the next level would be, do you have a plan? And if they say yes, then you get them to a hospital, you call a, 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 a mental health professional, you get other people involved that know how to deal directly with what suicide is. The other thing is educate yourself now. Go look on the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Jump on my website at KathleenL.com. There are many, many resources out there right now to help you know what some of those signs are. Um, NAMI is another one, National Order of Mental Illness. Um, or uh, Yeah, it's NAMI. Um, and so there are many ways that you can be educated about it. And if you're concerned, ask because you could prevent a suicide. Those are tips that I hope someone's listening to and that they're changing the way that they're interacting with their child. You know, my son is, is nine, uh, Kathleen, and he had made some comments to me last year in a sense of COVID and just everything going on that he didn't think I was listening to him, right? So, and, and, and he probably was right because I was multitasking, I was preoccupied. So one of the things I've since changed is exactly one of the things that you're mentioning around communication. And I kind of almost think about it um, when I'm working with couples and I'm teaching them. So what we call the couples dialogue, the mirroring technique, or just like when we're going through a McDonald's or a Panera Bread, they're repeating back what they heard us order to make sure that we heard it correctly. So I always tell them, it's kind of like we're going through a drive through You're just making sure. And that small shift and just repeating back and mirroring things that my son has said, I can see that it makes him feel seen. It makes him feel heard and it lets him feel like he has mom's attention. So when we make those small shifts and, you know, we look at the, the needs that our children have, or we all had as children as well. And that is the, the desire, we call them birthrights, the right to be seen, heard, and understood. But many times as, as, parents, busy parents were so preoccupied. It's kind of like, I know I was on my phone and he's like, well, mom, are you listening to me? So, you know, I think when we can start practicing that to your point to be preventative and then obviously to feed into our children so that we are that safe place and we are asking the questions, you know, for those that have children, there's some things that we can do right now to, to, to help letting them know that they matter and that they have a safe place. And those are all the things that our loss expert is sharing um, with us today. So such important, important tips. You know, what have you also, what can you also share from your expertise and your own personal journey around just, just mental health and children in, in particular? Because we know that statistic, the second leading cause for, for children, I believe it's age 10 to 24, is suicide. So when you kind of are educating parents and from your own journey, what are some of the things that, that you've learned that you can share with us? Well, mental health starts with you, really. Um, if you are not taking care of yourself, then you cannot expect that you can take care of your child the way you need to take care of them. It's important to um, start to create daily practices. Um, I just want to, I, I think I'm going to tie it back into this, but um, I, I, I want you to know it's not just children. Right now, we're talking about major chains with, with COVID. 
and it's gone on for two years and people are getting very, very worked up of anxious and depressed. And there are all kinds of things that are changing. So a loss of a job, a change in your job situation, a divorce, a, a, um, a, a health diagnosis, all of that has grief in it. So if you mask it and pretend it doesn't exist, it's going to just get bigger. So your children can feel the energy of your stress. Now you may think that you're blocking it and you may think you're coming home and putting that smile on your face and you say, oh honey, how was your day? And yeah, 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 yeah. And they know you're not there. Whether they can acknowledge that or not, they can sense it. Our energy creates a vortex around us. So if you're not caring for yourself, you're not modeling for your children to take care of themselves either. So the first thing that I would recommend is start a morning practice of gratitude, of breath. You don't even have to meditate. Just consciously breathe. Uh, Walk in nature for five minutes. Set an alarm every two hours at work so you can sit for three minutes to consciously breathe in to the count of four, hold it to the count of four, release it to the count of four, and hold it to the count of four. And do that four times in a row. It doesn't take that long. But what it does, it gets you to start to shift your energy. It keeps your energy in motion. And it also helps bring you back to be grounded in the moment. So so paying attention to that, put your electronics away for 30 minutes Spend 30 minutes with your partner, with your coworker, with your child. Really listen. I, I cannot emphasize that enough is really, really listen. You said some key things because I'm a big believer in the way that we start our day sets the tone and it matters. And then we also heard you say about the four square breathing. You know, there's some research, um, Kathleen, that I've seen that most people, we don't take full breaths. So we take more shallow breaths and you just think about the constant hustle and bustle and taking that moment to put the electronics away and connect relationally is what I'm also hearing you say. Relationally is also healing. It's amazing. And I'm sure you have thoughts around it. How many people feel so connected in such a disconnected way through our devices and have all these Facebook friends and all these other things, but how many do you really know you? How many really know you in, in, in the sense of when you struggle, right? So, you know, share a little bit about, about that with us, about true connection and relationships, because I would imagine that there's part of that that you've also um, learned on your own journey as we uh, come up against our break. Being vulnerable is key. Now, um, you may have 5,000 or more people on your Facebook and you can scroll and, and compare yourself. So there's two things. Be vulnerable with those that you feel that you can be safe to be vulnerable with. Only share things with those that you feel are going to give you what you need. You know, there are people in your life that are good people and that you can love. But if if you're going back to a dry well or an empty cup, you're not going to get what you need. So it's going to cause more frustration and, 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 and angst and anxiety and irritation and judgment, really. So go to the people that you know that can provide what you need. Stop going to the dry well. Feed your own soul. You know, if you feel like you're not getting what you need, go to a professional, go to an energy healer, get a coach, you know, get someone who can assist you in moving through your your challenges. And 
third, show up authentically. Because when you show up authentically, then you give permission to your friends, your colleagues, your children, your, your bosses to show up authentically too. That's not always easy. No, it's not easy, especially if someone's pain has occurred in relationship. You know, one of the things I always say is that when we're broken in relationship, we also can heal in relationship. But to your point, it causes us to have to be authentic and to be vulnerable and to stretch a little bit. But to be connected can make us feel seen and heard and is so powerful. So in, a, in our recovery community, especially for those that are working towards out of addictions, because um, some people that are in addictions, they go to non-relational relief versus relational relief. They have to learn to your point. I want to stay stuck there, but where was I wounded in relationship? And just as you mentioned, and I relate to that when you're raised by either an alcoholic parent, you know, that can kind of teach you to read other people and get into codependency and you lose a sense of yourself and you abandon yourself. So great, great uh, tips and thoughts. So we are here with our loss expert, Kathleen L, who shared with us some tips on mental health and our youth, as well as signs that, that can help us connect with our children so that we connect with our children, young adults, to um, help them tap into what's going on with them so we can give them the support and the help that they need. So we'll be right back after this short break on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it. Anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Jamie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Well, welcome back with our special guest, Kathleen L., who's a loss expert, transformational coach, And she's sharing her story about turning pain to purpose so that she can help so many that may have experienced a sudden loss or may now recognize the signs of mental illness of of when someone may need their support. So welcome back to the show, Kathleen. Thank you, Janie. I'm glad to be here. You opened up in your book, which I thought was really well written. And I like that your audible was by your voice. <laughs> I always like re- listening to books that um, it's actually the voice of the author. But you had opened up by sharing, and I knew I wanted to talk to you about this because I see this so much in therapy. You shared about your relationship with Paul and you, you and what you have learned from that relationship to, so, you know, it'd be interesting if you can share with us for that person who's listening and how to best support someone who is grieving after a sudden loss. And specifically, if you can educate our listeners on what is appropriate to say to someone who is grieving. Because I, I also know that you've talked about that in the book. And sometimes when I'm sitting and doing grief counseling, that comes up a lot with when people will say things that are inappropriate or insensitive, the impact that that can potentially leave on a person. So would love if you share a little bit about your journey with Paul and what you learned about that and some things that um, you can help educate the listeners about uh, inappropriate things to say to someone and how to be there for someone who's grieving. Great. So Paul and I had been dating for about five years um, when Logan transitioned and he lived three hours away from me. Um, so we had a long distance rela- relationship. He's a wonderful man. Um, he was a wonderful man. And yet we still were on a path that was rocky after five years of long distance. And it, it, it was definitely not heading um, in the best direction. But both of us were still just moving through the motions of, of really, because we loved each other. Um, and then when Logan transitioned, Paul was my rock. Paul showed up, he, you know, he helped be able to communicate at the beginning with my former husband, you know, the children's dad. He was right there during the, um, the depths of, of the hardest parts, the funeral, the, the, the funerals. We had two funerals, one in Cal- uh, um, South Carolina and one in Vermont, and then the wake. So he's, he was really the rock. What, how Paul showed up for me was that he wanted to protect me and he was in pain, but he isolated his pain. So where only he, he, he felt through his pain when he was alone. So I didn't see him cry. I didn't, um, he, he couldn't show up for me the way I needed him to. And I didn't ask him to show up the way I needed him to. What I needed was someone to cry with me, someone to hold me, someone to um, understand, how, you know, to speak with me, to communicate with me about it. That's what I needed. 
But I couldn't at the time. I didn't know that's what I needed to ask for. I didn't realize I needed to ask for what I needed. He did the best he could with what he knew too. We we broke up shortly after Logan's um, Logan's um, transition, but we're best friends now. We're really good friends now because I was able to go back and he shared with me just how it just crushed him and how it crushed him to see me in the pain that I was in. And I'm like, then why didn't you hold me the way, you know, like, and so we had the conversation. And what I realized from that conversation is that the only way anybody's going to be able to show up for you the way you want them to show up for you is if you ask. Now I know if you're grieving or if you're in a, in a uh, mental wellness space or, or health space that you're not sure what to do, I know it's hard to ask for help, but no one can help you the way you need to be helped if you don't ask for that assistance. And if you don't speak your truth to that person, you're not giving them the chance to show up. So I didn't give Paul a chance to show up. Um, and I also realized he was in his own pain and he dealt with, so we all deal with pain differently. And I want to come back to something that I'd written down earlier as we were talking about. I think it's also very important that it is not your job to fix anybody. You have zero control over anyone else's actions. All you can do is ask for what you need. And if they can't give you what you need, then seek someone that can, a professional in one way or another, a friend, you know, another loved one. You know, there are different people around you because if you're expecting something from someone uh, that they can't give you, then you're only putting more pressure and um, challenge in your relationship. What not to say? Oh boy. Um, There are so many things not to say. One of which is never ask someone how they actually died by suicide. Don't ask them how they did it. I actually had someone who asked me, so how did Logan actually take his life? I really, at the time, I really wanted to punch her in the face. <laughs> I mean, that's really, like, that is not an appropriate thing to ask. It is not about gossip. It is not, a, like, who cares how? It's the fact that my son actually took his life now I'm here without my son's physical presence. The second thing is, God does not need your child more than you do. <laughs> so do not say he's in a better place. Do not say that God needs him more than you do or, or your loved one. It doesn't matter if it's your child or, or your spouse or someone or your parent for that matter. Those are just things. It's just, you know, we say things to fill space because we're uncomfortable not because the person who is grieving is uncomfortable. So there are other ways that you can show up. It's, you can show up by speaking their loved one's name. You can show up by saying there's no words that I can say that's going to take your pain away. Just know that I hold you close in my heart, and I just, I'm here for you if you can tell me what I could do because I don't know what to do for you. You could also say, You know how Logan touched my life? He was such a light in my life. This is a story. Could I share a story about about your loved one? And, you know, everyone's different. So ask for permission. So I think, you know, just speaking 
you know, Joe's going to be missed terribly. Annie was such an amazing person in my life, and I'm just not even, it's going to have a hole in my life, so I can't imagine what it's going to be like for you. The other thing I would really highly recommend is put in your calendar four, five, and six months after their transition, send a note then. Everyone shows up six weeks for the first four to six weeks. Everyone shows up, and then people's lives get back to normal your life never goes back to normal because you have a new piece of the puzzle in your life that you have to learn how to walk all over again or put that puzzle back together. So know that even, so you don't have to remember it, just put it in your calendar so you can send a note or pick up the phone and call or maybe even better, stop by and visit. So it's just important to show up in the best way you can and, and also speak that you don't know how to show up. Those are great tips, and I like a couple of things I want to highlight. One, in speaking about Paul and having someone there in relational um, dynamics is to communicate and to not expect people to know what you need when you need them need need it is is very important. I want to highlight that. And secondly, it's okay to know that you don't know what to say, but to not what I like to what I like to say, because a lot of people will struggle with this. And I'm imagining you had your own um, challenge. I think in the book, you're talking about it in relation to work, which I want to get into that a little bit. But some people will just go the other way. You know, when I'm querying people that I'm working with that have gone through grief or are grieving, they'll say that to your point, okay, after the funeral, they feel more alone. And when they see people that they feel like people are avoiding them because they don't know what to say. But what you're sharing with us is that's okay, is lean in, say that, or it's maybe even ask the person, is there a way that I can best support you during this season? Is, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Exactly. You know, running away from those who grieve um, is your own issue. It is not that the person that's grieving. What are you afraid of? You know, are you afraid that they're going to cry and you don't know how to respond? More than likely, they're going to cry. <laughs> so... So if they cry, just, it's okay to say, I, you know, I wish I could take your pain away, but I can't. Can I give you a hug? What can I do for you right now? Or just sit there. You don't have to speak even, just being there. You know, the other question you could ask is, tell me what you miss most about your loved one. Like you said, Janie, earlier, you know, I loved how you started this out was you actually said, so what are some of the stories about Logan that really warmed your heart that you can still remember today? So actually speaking about that and asking about them, it doesn't hurt them. It, it really brings joy and love. And you may find a tear there, but it's because the memory is so beautiful, not because it's painful. The memory is beautiful and not because it's painful and there's nothing wrong. It's even invited to check in around the person who was lost, to check in around Logan and he was a person and he matters and to let the person know that they matter is so important. So thank you for all those tips because I believe it's going to make a difference to someone who's going to listen here or watch, watch us. But I'm going to go back um, a little bit to something that I also heard you. And I was actually cracking up at this part, Kathleen, when I heard you say in the book, you discussed very candidly about your PSA announcement. And I was cracking up around that because I think a lot of women can resonate with that importantly, which is why I'm 
highlighting that because I have a lot of uh, women in my audience, but about your decisions that you made in that first year after Logan's transition. So share with us, you know, what the lessons you've learned so that others can learn from your experience in particular around some of those. I'll let you share uh, the PSA announcement and all that good stuff. The PSA is within the first year, do not change your job, get divorced, get married, um, or move from your home. You know, like, do not do that. All the professionals tell you out there that that really the first year is is really finding your footing again. And, and more than likely, you're not going to find your footing if it's sudden unexpected loss. You just because it's so complicated it's nothing and it shatters open every wall that you've ever had on any trauma you've had in your life that you haven't dealt with that you haven't moved through so the first year you are not going to be the same person that you are going to be in five years or 10 years or even 12 years from the time that you are in that first year that first year there's a lot of movement there's a lot of pretending there's a you are not the person that you are going to be so the story is that Janie's talking about is that, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend. I found another boyfriend. I sold my house. I moved in with my boyfriend and got engaged. Um, all within the first, I'd say, 18 months of, of Logan's transition. For me... Now, and and today I can go back and I'm like, all of that happened because I needed to go through what I went through and I can find amazing things that occurred from all of that. Not, and FYI, I am single and have been single for four years. So the marriage didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not because he changed, because I changed. And I think that's really important to know is that I became a very different person than I, than I was when I met him. The, I can't even remember what I was talking about. Um, but the, the, the changes, the shifts that you go through, um, the first year is a lot and you're just not going to, um, you're just not going to be the person that you were at all at all. So um, from that experience, because as you said, there's some beautiful moments from that, but looking back, there was a lot of transition, a lot of changes, a lot of new attachments. And for some people that are grieving, sometimes, because I actually see that a lot, sometimes they're just grasping, right? To to feel, to matter, to sometimes to distract because of the, the healing. So how do you and let's, let's transition a little bit here. How do you work with clients to help them begin their healing journey, not only from what you've learned from your own journey, but now doing this, helping women professionally from those experiences. So if someone's listening to this and they have not yet reached out and they feel like sometimes I can experience some of the women I work with where they feel like they have to be strong, they have to be tough. And some of that was their coping mechanism before where showing emotion and vulnerability was not something that um, was looked at as being healthy. Mm-hmm. So what can you share with us just from a highlight perspective? If someone is listening and they're realizing, you know what, I'm still grieving my spouse, my child, my parent, how can they start to begin a healing journey? 
Well, the first thing is to acknowledge that you're in patterns right now that um, are not in your best and highest, and you know it. You feel numb, you feel heavy, you feel like you're just existing, um, you're surviving. So that's the first, those are the first things. And if you feel any of that, I would highly encourage you to connect with a coach, with a, a therapist, with uh, an energy healer, with someone who can assist you through that. You do not have to do it alone. And going it alone only continues to isolate you from others. When you have someone with you that can assist you through some of those steps, some of them is actually going into your body and finding where the pattern started to begin with. So you can break the pattern and start fresh. They're one, it's one step at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. Remember that you have to move through the pain in order to eliminate the suffering. You have to move through it to eliminate the suffering. And that um, it's a journey. It is not a one and done kind of thing. I know that with everything that we have now, it's instantaneous. It's the text, it's the calls, it's everything's instantaneous. Your journey here, your life is a journey. So why not invest in yourself so where you can continue to grow and feel lighter and feel more joy and feel more connected and be like, wow, I've spent 50 years of my life doing something that really create, well, this is, nothing's wasted. So you spend 50 years of your life, which I'm using me as an example now, 50 years of my life of doing things that gave me the skills and expertise to do something that I absolutely love. So it took me to be hit over the head with a very difficult and painful situation to move through a healing journey that opened me up enough to live the life that I'm meant to live, to be the person that I'm meant to be on this earth. And now I can look back and say, all of those other things gave me the tools, the knowledge, the expertise to be able to do what I do well. And continue to invest in yourself. Continue to invest in yourself. You can only take care of you. You cannot take care of anybody else. You, if, you're, if you are not serving people from the overflow from your cup, I'm not talking half full or half empty. I'm talking fill your own cup up and then serve from the overflow. Because when you serve from the overflow, you're serving from gratitude and joy and, and excitement and and anticipation and connection. When you're serving from half full or half empty, you're serving out of resentment, out of anger, out of obligation, out of um, responsibility. And all of that has an energy to it. All of it does. So how do you feel when someone shows up when they're joyous about it and wants to assist you or when they, you can feel they're showing up because they have to? What does that feel like to you? So if you're not, if you're showing up that way, invest in a coach, invest in someone that can assist you in moving through your healing journey in one form or another. It's, it's not just talk therapy, really. It's, it's that and, or, you know, some type of healing, uh, a journey of a sort. Absolutely. We can't deal if we can't feel and we have to be able to feel and the body does keep, keep the, score, the score right so trauma is stored in the body so when we look at just general healing 
you know, looking at that mindset, the inner work and the body work, it has to be a holistic uh, practice. And what that looks like for everyone is is different, but there has to be a holistic practice and 100% agree with that. And also the, the saying that comes to mind is life is happening, uh, not to us, but for us, to your point of we're looking back and you may, yes, you will do some things differently, but all of those things matter to the person that we are today. Um, so, so a couple of things as we wind up this episode. No, and I want to discuss this part because I do believe it's um, important. And, you know, if you can respond like a minute or so, but you discuss feeling judged and having that, that self-blame initially. And I think it's so important to discuss that aspect of, of grieving the loss of a child after suicide, because a lot of people experience that. Could you share a little bit about that with us? Shame, self-blame. Um, we think that we have we could have done something differently for our, our child. For me, he was angry at me. I did everything I could. I set rules. I set boundaries. You know, at the time, I thought they were right. But the important thing here is while you are blaming yourself, you have to know that you have zero control over someone else's actions. The only control you have is over yourself. And so um, living in the self-blame and the shame and the guilt only brings you further down. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. And so it's really important to take care of yourself, to remember that you did the best you could with what you knew, with all the love in your heart for them. That's it. You know, if you could have done something different, you would have. I did everything I could and I still couldn't change it for my son. And so that's really important. The other thing I want to actually say is that, and especially in suicide, a lot of people might not like this, but the fact is we, it's not like life is happening to us or for us. We're creating our life. We're creating our life. So it's really, it's the E plus R equals O formula that Jack Canfield talks about. There's events in our lives that we have zero control over. It's our response or our reaction that's going to cause the outcome of our life. So how do you want to respond to any situation? So living in your pain is not, in your suffering is not the best, not, not in your highest and best. And when we can to totally embody that, it's so empowering to create our life. You know, we certainly want to thank you, Kathleen, for being here, educating us, sharing us your experience, and shattered together. You know, suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people between 10 to 24. And sometimes your struggle can be underestimated because of your age, but we're here, we hear you, we see you, and help is available. The Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And in the words of our special guest, for those who have experienced loss, it is my hope that this book helps you to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is love and wholeness and inner peace. And when you decide to invest in your own healing, you can begin to pick up the pieces of your shattered life. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week.